Optimistic Tales. I am your host, Dr. Eric M. Moody. I'm joined today by Terrence Deshaun Smith. Terrence and I have a history. Well, good, let me first say good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. Terrence and I have a history uh, that, that goes back almost a decade. I guess once you get past seven years, it's, it's almost a decade. Uh, he was one of my original interviews that I did for my community development class back when we used to do live chats with the students. Oh, yeah. And uh, I recently, and we'll talk a little bit about that, I recently uh, was telling Terrence earlier that I, I went back over and looked at that video and watched it, and right at the end, I started laughing because I looked at you and I said, oh, man, this is fun. You're like, yeah, this is fun. I said, I'm like, yeah, man, we got to have you back. All right, good. Well, that was seven years ago that we <laughs> recorded that video, and um, and, and I, I only say that because you have been a busy man, Terrence. Hell yeah. And, and because as soon as I started the podcast last year, my first thought, because I couldn't work your video into the first season, I said, and you know, I reached out to you. Hey, Terrence, man, whenever you're in town, okay, great. And then you went off to, to Bloomberg. And, you know, you've been doing so much stuff. We finally, after seven years, got, got back into the same room together. Oh, yeah. So Happy I appreciate be you being here. Uh, I'd like to ask you uh, to give us just a little bit about uh, a uh, a bio about you, and let's talk about your, your education, because you have a connection here in the uh, College of Education where I teach. Oh, yeah. And so a little bit about that, and, and then I think this will, we've got some talking points, but I think I want to, I want the people to, to meet you. Okay. Okay, and, and, and who you are, because you are absolutely an optimistic tale that I think people need to know about. Uh, thank you. So I'll tell you, I'll start. I'm, my name is Terrence Smith. I am a uh, native of Mobile. Um, graduate from the University of South Alabama uh, with degrees in anthropology, sociology, communications, and a master's degree in instructional design. Specifically interdisciplinary studies. Interdisciplinary studies, that's specifically. My, that's my plug because yeah. my boss wants to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I will tell you, I will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for the interdisciplinary studies program. It was a it was a major benefit to me at a time where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. I was kind of scattered all around the campus. I wanted to study everything, and right. it gave me a home right. to actually house all of, the, all of my interests, and, and that has paid off greatly to this right. day. So uh, shout out to everyone in, in the disciplinaries program. Right. You, you mentioned in the, in the last time we talked that, uh, and I've, I've read this uh, in, in uh, articles that you've been, uh, that's been written about you, that what helped you focus those disciplines was the fact that you wanted to help people. Oh, yeah. And so you needed to find out things. Because originally you were, if I remember right, you were thinking about computer science. I mean, you were yeah. you didn't know what you wanted to do. Yeah. But, but you said, okay, what is it that makes me happy? I want to help people. And you started going towards that. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and also, so when I, when I would mention that I wanted to help people, uh, I was instantly met with, with, with pessimism, right? You know, you're not going to make any money. <laughs> exactly. You're going to live a life of poverty if you're going to, you know, but also I had come from poverty, so right. I wasn't afraid of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I absolutely know what you mean that, uh, you know, coming from poverty my, myself, probably not as bad as yours, but, I, we, you know, single mom, we, we came from poverty. And, yeah. Uh, I know how it is. And I've, I've said this before in previous uh, podcasts that I was always told, and again, I don't remember who told me this, and I think it may have been my mother, but they said, if you want to get out of poverty, get an education. Yeah. That's your key to getting out of poverty. And I, and I and I also say too, you know, part of that was you know being able to be exposed to things, right? So you know, it was I had to see a world outside of my world in order to know what was possible. And right. so I like to say that my education was like not only the academic side, but the life and the social side. My mom. Uh, being able to expose me to so many people. And so South was also a part of that experience. You know, right. the academic experience was truly there. But there are people that I've met 
uh, throughout my journey in South that still are with me today that we share experiences. We uh, we still work together. We still understand each other. We still share resources. And so, yeah, so for me, for me, uh, started off as a as a case manager for Alta Point Health Systems, right. working with students with behavior issues. Um, and then I quickly realized that there was something special about the power of like human connection, one-to-one and understanding someone not only in the space that they're coming to receive services from you, right. uh, but also in the their place of origin. What right. are they dealing with before they get there? So once I was able to understand that part of the world, uh, I quickly realized that that was something bigger that I wanted to do. And so had an opportunity to work with the Mobile Area Education Foundation. Right. So now, now let, let me let me go back real quick before we get off the uh, the case manager job. Yeah. Tell people how long you were there. I want to say f- four years. Four years. And four. and what's and what's the turnaround for most case managers? Yeah, it's very short. It's very short. <laughs> Less than a year sometimes. You said four weeks. Yeah. So like, if you made it to five, you were doing good. Yeah. And and it was, it was it was funny because when I got there and I was go back and look at the, the case notes. Right. It was all those people like there for like four weeks to a couple of months and I was there four years, but you know, and it was it was a job that I didn't get paid a lot of money to do that not. job either. Right. But I I, I love what I was doing because I, I saw the impact that we were having on people. Uh and I knew them. I knew their names. I saw their faces. Right. And and I and I so I knew that that was something that drove me. And so when it was time for me to <laughs> to get married to start making more money, I right. had to leave that job. <laughs> but those experiences uh, carry me to this day. Right. And then you went up to and then so now you continue. You at the housing board as a uh, academic counselor. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, I was I got a call from um, from Commissioner Luggett and, and Representative Clark now, who was a uh, former uh, Atlanta Clark. So she. Um, they called me and said, hey, look, we got this space. We have this space called a Youth Academy, and we want for you to come over here and be a, uh, and be an academic uh, a coach and a coordinator. And so I went over, and, you know, it was it was a dream job for me because I had also grown up in, in public housing. Right. And so I identified with the kids and the families immediately. Right. Uh, but to also understand what they needed and how they needed those services. And so. And they identified with you as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a two way street. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and that, and that was the thing is, and I, but I also saw that as like, you know, you know, if you, I'll say earlier that, you know, you want to be the light to someone else's path. Right they can look at me and see that I am just like them. Because exactly. not, not exactly. even just the look of it, it's the feel. It feels very familiar that I know what they're trying to navigate because I have right. also had to navigate it. Uh, only only difference is now I have a very different experiences and set of skills that I can deploy to help each individual right. in their journey. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, the whole thing I talk about in the podcast is about empathy. I mean, we talk about empathy on, uh, for uh, – for most of my episodes, which yeah. it comes up, but you know, a lot of people equate empathy with sympathy, and it's yeah. two totally different things. Very you know, different, right? Exactly. And you're talking about empathy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely talking about you know understanding who you are and and what you're doing, and uh, understanding like how can I take myself out of my situation and, and and place myself into your situation, but also understanding that I would never fully be in your situation, right? Because it's very particular to you. But there's also a very particular set of skills and interventions that I need to deploy to help you get out of that situation. And one size doesn't fit all. Right. Uh, which I will tell you that since that conversation and now my my uh, my research on trust building has led me down an interesting path of understanding what care means. Okay. And how do we provide care to people and what does that look like? Right. Most people think it's like a very squishy 
emotional term, but in right. reality, I show that I care about you uh, by the way I'm attentive to your needs, mm-hmm. uh, by the way I'm, I assume responsibility for the things that I can do to help you, Right. that I show my competence in a way that helps you have confidence in me, mm-hmm. and then lastly, that I'm responsive to the feedback. So the things that I am doing for you, right. uh, I'm responsive to how you are receiving those those services or those skills right. or those resources. And, that, and it's, that's brilliant because you're one person, and I've said this before, uh, that uh, what defines community is when one person cares enough about another person to help them. And yeah. once that transaction takes place, you have community. Oh, yeah. So you, you're building community, not only one person at a time, but you're one person doing it. Yeah. And so, it, it, I, again, I thank you if nobody's <laughs> thanked you, but, but, you know, you going out there and doing that because you genuinely care about people is yeah. what's going to build community. Yeah. And, I, and I, I will say I also think we're always, like, you know, for each each of us, we may not be aware of it, but we're always building some type of community. Even now, as I think about what does it mean to engage a public, right. you, know, uh, you know, John Dewey would say, the American philosopher, he would say that in a liberal society, the public doesn't readily exist as like this stagnant, uh, static unit. Right. It is very dynamic, and so we call a public into existence right. um, based on, the issues or the 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 flavor of the day, and so then right. how do we how do we we how do we intentionally place those things in the center and draw a public around it? And that now that I think deeper about that, that's kind of what Pop Up Mobile did. Okay, for me, no, there wasn't there wasn't a group of people that were out there wanted to uh, revitalize vacant buildings right. in the downtown area, right? Especially right. if they weren't getting paid for it. I didn't even receive any money for that. Right, right, but. I knew that if we were going to restore vibrancy to Mobile, we mm-hmm. would have to do it with the common person, the everyday right. person. And you would have to put yourself at the mercy of whoever showed up. Right. Because sometimes your friends aren't coming to show up for you because they don't have the same interest in that moment. Right. And that's okay. But if I, sh- if I put myself, if I put, make myself very vulnerable to uh, this is something that's valuable to me that I'm putting out into the world, which is very vulnerable because I don't know if anyone else is going to come around. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm out there and then other people start to see me, whether it's a, a, a couple of homeless people, they show up and they say, ask me what I'm doing. And I tell them and they say, how can I be a part of that? Grab a paintbrush. Right. Exactly. Or a, a news media personality come up or some young people show yeah. up. That now is my public. Right. That is me engaging them in a way that aligns us all for a common goal. Right. And once we achieve that goal, we're, con- we're connected based on that forever. One paintbrush at a time. One paintbrush at a time. <laughs> I love, I love that. That uh, and 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 so th- this idea of, of of the pop-up mobile that that uh, you try to re- revitalize some of those blighted properties. Uh, talk a li- talk to us a little bit about your your thoughts on historical disinvestment and, and what you see that as as uh, you know is it still uh, a blight. In communities, or is it being, uh, you know, are we making progress in getting some of those done? I mean, what what, what do you see that, uh, where do you see that now? Yeah, so I, I think I think we're making progress, especially in Mobile. You know, we started as a aside from aside from the pop up Mobile, the the blight initiative in Mobile has, has decreased by about 53 percent. Okay. 
uh, which is amazing. Uh, but still, there's a lot of work to be done. Right. In my but in my in my travels throughout the United States, you still see that. Right. It's not just a mobile thing. It's a it's it's a relic of the days gone by. So you know, still there are the remnants of redlining. Mm-hmm. There are the the spaces where you know where not even that. It's not just like a we intentionally invest in certain areas and these other areas are disinvested in and we're not directly placing the resources that we know needs to go there. Um, and more so because of the political right, issues exactly. that come along with it. And I think for us, it's, it's more of a lack of understanding of how to convey the message mm-hmm. of if we ensure that all parts of our city are doing well, Right. Then the rest of the city will do well. And so, you know, it, it's, it's this it's this when I go back to this, the thing that holds us up the most is that at the very top levels, we have this operative, uh, these operative, this operative messaging versus this uh, official messaging. Right. And this operative messaging is that this is exactly what we need to do. This is where the money is going to come from. This is who is going to help immediately. This is who's right. going to help on a secondary level. And then the official messaging says uh, this is what we're going to do very vaguely. Right. It's made to ensure that everyone gets on board, but it has very low impact. Right. And so all of those things prevent us from clearly aligning around the issue so that we can properly invest in the areas of the city that we should. So I'll, I'll, if right. I use Mobile as an example, um, if we look at the population decline that, that's, that, it, that exists here right. and with the migration out west, you know, we're trying to go out and capture the people out west and, and mm-hmm. bring them back in, uh, and that's one way of of uh, of uh, creating a, creating generating more population in the city. The other way is to is to laser focus your resources on the areas that have been disinvested in, right? And figuring out what's the best way to do that because if you do that, you create these these vibrant pockets of the city mm-hmm. where people want to flow through, and you create these. This 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 level of community that forces people to want to come in and be a part of our culture. Right, right. And, and you know, in, in Mobile is is grown like I, I'm sure a lot of cities have. And you mentioned earlier before we started uh, about you coaching mayors. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that because because I'm sure you know every city is different, obviously, uh, but every sim- city is also similar. There's a downtown portion, and like you said, there's an expansion, and so you you move out. And so you have the, you know, Suburbanville and, you know, all those places. But what have you found in, in coaching uh, the mayors of these cities, similarities between all of them? What are some of those? Yeah, so coaching mayors has been a, a, a very, like, it's, it's been one of the highlights of my of my whole experience at Johns Hopkins. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've realized is that, you know, mayors are people. Right. And, and they, uh, people, what I've learned is that everyone brings the mayor their problems. <laughs> Very few people bring the mayor's solutions. Everybody knows the mayor's address. That, you know, Everyone knows the mayor's address. So, so, But one of the things, though, is that, you know, really good mayors, they understand how to build teams. Okay. They understand uh, public narratives. They understand the power of public narratives. But they also understand the value of supporting people in the positions that they're in. Okay. Um, sometimes, you know, the tough decisions have to be made, and you signed up to be that person uh, I've learned that from from uh, from my time coaching mayors, but I've also learned that every mayor in every city is different. 
Mm-hmm. We, we, th- we think of a mayor as a mayor as a mayor. Right. That's not really that because some of these cities, like you may go to a city and they have 40 councilmen. Right. That mayor might as well be the president. Right. Deal with, <laughs> dealing with 40 cabinet members, right? Right. Um, and then you have some mayors where they have only seven people to, right. to, uh, to convince. And so I think, you know, from, from that, what I've, what I've really learned is that the mayors that understand the power of conveying the message, the mayors that understand how to build a team, the mayors that understand uh, that I need to be fair, open, and honest, right. and how difficult that is to actually do, um, are, are the ones that, that, we, that we look to. Right. And that we focus on, and especially in times now where the issues that we're facing are so complex, mm-hmm. um, it takes a brave face to stand in front of that. And sometimes, you know, it's not just about being brave and standing in front of it. It's about being brave, getting down in front of it, and knowing that you have the right team behind you right. to actually uh, complete the task that you set out to do. Right. So uh, your experience being, uh, was it the program director? Is that the right term? On the... Uh, Mayor's innovation team. Yeah, director okay. of innovation. So I actually started off as a as a project manager, okay. and then quickly moved to being a senior project manager, and then right. the director of innovation, and lastly, uh, director of the office of, Street of strategic initiatives. Before I left. Okay, so you you've got specific experience in this. So let me ask you this question: When you talk about you know mayors need to to utilize team members and get the right team, mm-hmm. in in your experience. What does that team look like? What's the best characteristics to have the most innovative, most productive team? What What would you look for in forming a team? Oh, Let's yeah. just say, I don't know, a, a small team, 10 people or whatever it might be. Because like you said, some might have 40, some might be bigger. But what are some of the basic characteristics? Yeah, so I look, I look for people who are, are open and uh, flexible. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, you know, what, you, what you've come in to do, uh, depending on the culture, the climate, things shift and change. So right. you have to also be flexible and adaptable to do that. Uh, so look for people who are, are trustworthy. And, and I say trustworthy is very specific. It's the sum of being, the sum of uh, your ability, your uh, integrity, and your benevolence, right? Okay. So I need, I need all three of those present in something that you've done, the work that you've done, the places that you've been. Right. Um, but then how, uh, how rare is be- benevolence? Uh, oh, you ha- because the, to to me that's a you know that 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 grows out of a whole lot of experiences people have, and oh, so yeah. you can you know to have a you know you can have benevolent dictators. Yeah, you can. You know, but benevolence, I mean, that's interesting that you brought that word up. Uh, when I was putting together my podcast, I was had originally uh, while I now focus on empathy, I was originally looking into benevolence. Yeah, and that's a tough cookie to yeah to bake right there sometimes i solved it by just saying <laughs> humanity right but since i'm here i'm going to call it benevolence uh yeah but so what, i didn't mean to put you on the spot buddy no but, but, but i like i like to i like to stick with that word and, I, and okay. i'll tell you why because in in when i'm looking at organizational development I'm, I'm thinking about i'm thinking about the aspect of can this person place the um their can they place their personal agenda aside right. to focus on the collective agenda? Okay. And is there clear evidence in their work that shows me that they can do that? Right. Because if they can, in, in innovation, we start out, we don't know. We're asking questions. Okay. We don't know the answers. 
And if we did know the answers, we wouldn't know if the answer would fit this specific population. Okay. And so we have to be able to go out and listen, even if we have to be free of our own biases. Right. So I look for people who, can, who are able to do that. But I also look for people, a mixture of people who are very regimented and, and, and organizing and putting things together. Mm-hmm. And also people who are very creative. Right. Because there is a messy side to this whole process. Right. And I need, I need someone in the middle who can balance those two sides. Right. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really difficult. I've, I've noticed uh, over the years that the people with the big picture uh, and the ones that actually what they would say is, well, it, it's all that pie in the sky, and, and you know, that's okay, but you got to get the work done. Yeah. yeah, but without those, you know, those visionary people, the other part, you know, what are they going to do? Yeah. You can sit around with a hammer, you know, but until somebody has a vision of what you're going to build, yeah, you might build a house, and then when it's done, go well. We didn't really need a house; mm-hmm. we needed a deck. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you got to have all of it. And, and it's and it's also why it's important to like go and observe the the thing that you're trying to impact, right? Because right. you go out there and you watch it and you see it and you realize, oh, what I've read on this is not exactly what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. What's not happening here? And so you need those people who are very visionary by nature to come in and and throw out all the best ideas. Right. And I I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, sometimes we reserve that title for very specific people, but we're all visionary at some sure, way. That's true. That's true. Uh, at some point, life has has drug all that all that out of us mm-hmm. and has replaced that with what's real. Right. What's real is based on the evidence of people who have done it before you. Right. So anything is real, and anything is possible with the right team and the right people around you. Now there are regulations that sometimes we have to abide by. Of course, of course. Um, but there are also there are, there's also a thing called overregulation where we that's, overregulate. That's true too. And so some like for instance, uh, in the blight work they had to change a law in order to uh, in order to uh, get to the end that they wanted to go. Well someone said you have to change the law. So instantly that was like a dead end for someone. It's like, well what do we have to do to change the law? And then everybody in the room was like, whoa and then you quickly realize, oh, this is a real thing. We could actually work to change the law. And right. so what happens, the right people in the in the room with the right belief, the right understanding, right. change the state law. Right. A- absolutely. And people don't, people don't think about that. And, and, and one of the red flags I've always uh, seen is, is when you're working on a project and you hit that wall where somebody says, well, that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what accent that was, but that's the way we've always done it. Um, well, as soon as you hear that, no matter who said it, that right there is a red flag to tell you we probably need to, let's look at this process again. Mm-hmm. Let's think about, are we doing it smartly? Yes, it may have been the way we've always done it, but is that smart now as it was 40 years ago when it started? And so I, I absolutely agree with you. Having having people on a team that uh, can look at all the aspects of the problem mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's brilliant. And, and I also think that, you know, it's not just like your core team either. It's, it's every project starts with a very core team, and then it has to expand to include more expertise and more perspectives. Right. So who are the people? Like, I like to, like, I like to focus now on this, this level of, like, uh, epistemic justice and ontological justice because it, what it does is it shows us how to validate the lived experiences mm-hmm. of uh, the people closest to the problem is expertise. Like, who is involved in the knowledge production and knowledge donation, right? Uh, those are and so. If we if we if we're upholding the epistemic justice and ontological justice, then we are 
giving in to that that way of making sure that we're uh, inviting everyone to the table right. and every into the room. Where do you find those people? Um, so everywhere. I, I tell you what. So the people that you need the most are the people hardest to reach because of uh, marginalization. Right. Um, and so they they've been pushed out so far that you know it's for them. It, it, can I actually come to the government? Does my voice matter? Does my opinion right. matter? And so we have to be able to show that. And so I like to think about if you think about concentric circles, where there's a circle in the middle, and here's the government, and we're trying to get everyone towards the center of service delivery. Right. Uh, but then these other rings are people who have been pulled out by these other issues, homelessness, uh, they've been pulled out because of their ethnicity, they've been pulled right. out because of their social status. Some people have been pulled out because they just don't trust the government. Right. Um, it's wrong for us to s- consolidate all of that power and all those resources at the center mm-hmm. because it's harder for people to travel from those outer rings towards the center. Gotcha. We have to uh, expand our trust radius mm-hmm. by going out into those communities. And I, and I, like, to, I like to use the word those communities because community is a network of people. Correct. Uh, and so I also think that the 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 most dangerous word for us achieving all this is the. If you ever been in a meeting, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, explain that. Think about this. So when you're in a when you're in a meeting and someone says we we have to go out to the community, they say, "Oh, I talked to the community, <laughs> the community, right?" <laughs> yeah. And so, which community did you speak with? <laughs> right. Like, and right. for what reason? Exactly. For what purpose? And for right. how? And so that word, the, mm-hmm. to me in a meeting now is always like <laughs> jarring. It's like a wow. pause. It's okay. a red flag. Okay. Wow. So you mentioned about uh, about networking. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. You uh, in some of your uh, the the jobs that you've been doing, especially at Bloomberg. And I, I tell you what, before we get going, let's talk a little bit about going from Mobile to where you're at now, Bloomberg, mm-hmm. and what what that is. What do you do at, in Bloomberg? And then we'll get back to the. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, what you've mentioned is. Uh, Activating local democracy and kind of a human-centered design mm-hmm. on those projects. But let's talk about what you do at Bloomberg. Perfect. So, uh, so at the Bloomberg for Public Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation at Johns Hopkins, uh, I am a, um, a Bloomberg Public Innovation Fellow. Okay. And so from there, I'm I'm working to um, bridge the gap between practitioners and re- and academic researchers. Awesome. That's brilliant. I yep. love it. And so part of part of my my well my research is centered around uh, designing trustworthy organizations, specifically public institutions. Okay. And so f- now what I'm doing is uh and and it's it's been I will tell you, it's it's been a, such an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good people. Some of the smartest people I've ever worked with are, are in that one building, which is, right. a, is amazing. But also some of the most humble people that you've ever met are in that building. And that's encouraging. It is. To and me. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and so my, my, my experience now is that I'm doing research, which brings me back to Mobile. Mm-hmm. I have four cities. I have uh, Mobile, Alabama as a site, as a site visit. I have uh, Barranquilla, Columbia as a site. Uh, Vanta, in Finland as a site, and then Finland. Finland. Uh, okay. In, when I was in the military, we called those boondoggles. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would to go to Finland now, huh? The, so I would, I would, I would tell you, then Kansas City. And I would, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain how I chose sure, those cities, okay, right? Go ahead. So go ahead. A place like a place like Finland is uh, is a homogenized. A place like Vanta is is a homogenized city, right? right. 
but they're also a collectivist society. Right. So they, um, they, when you speak to them, they put the collective over the individual. And so as I'm thinking about building trust, it's something really special about living in a society that does that, that thinks about the collective first. Right. Um, but now, do, do they, because you, you mentioned this earlier about the, the whole, you know, the centered government mm-hmm. and how people have gone out. It just sounds to me like maybe they figured out how to make that, that center a little bigger. Yeah. Is that, is that what that's, you're talking about? That's, that's okay. exactly what it is. Okay. And so everyone, so they believe everyone belongs in the center. Okay, gotcha. And in order for and everyone. The center's huge. And for everyone right. to belong in the center, we have to expand it out. Gotcha. Uh, I chose that city because I, I, me and my colleague, my colleague Tommy Lightio, uh, who's also from Helsinki, introduced me to the mayor of Vanta and okay. in D.C. And instantly she said, Terrence, anyone that wants to come to Vanta belongs in Vanta. Wow. Okay. And, and, you know, when you say that, you know, politicians say that all the time. Right. And so she then gave me her business card. Mm-hmm. And later on, I called her like a, a couple of weeks later. And she instantly connected me. She told her what I was doing. She instantly connected me to all the city departments. And they scheduled the visit for me to come out to Vanta and, and explore how they build trust and innovation. And you've been there how many city. times? No. So I'm, I'm headed there now. Okay. On, uh, headed there now this month. Okay. Yep, this month, and, and so I added them, but so Barranquilla, uh, they also are like, it's it's almost like they're a Caribbean mobile. They're uh, they're they're on the port. Okay. They have uh they have Carnival, which is like our Mardi Gras. Right. Um, the project that I'm studying there is a Parks and Rec project that oh, okay. that 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 uh engendered trust in in public and in, in public officials. The same thing we have that same thing here in Mobile, and then Kansas City, uh, which is uh being led by one of my favorite public officials, Brian Platt. Uh, he's been really, really good at uh, working at diffusing innovation through all the city services without an actual innovation team. Okay. And so he's been able to, and he's been able to engender trust with residents and, right. and officials alike. And so I felt that those cities also had like a special, special thread in how they intentionally focused on building trust as a uh, accelerator for innovation. Okay, and and you teach uh, trust. That's one of your courses at John Hopkins, right? Yeah, so I taught an intercession course uh, with my colleague, uh, with my colleague Tommy, and uh, on on trust and innovation and in, uh, in government, which was a really, really, uh, really um, amazing experience. If you for me, because you know here I here I am, you know coming from um, here I am coming from Mobile, and you know my story, my story has been you know I am. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want school. I don't right. know if I'm gonna be a great student, and right. then I spend the rest of my life in school. Yeah. And so then I, so then I make it to Johns Hopkins, and now I'm like my exec- executive director. She's a Terrence. We're gonna get you in the classroom. Okay. Good. And I was like, oh, great. So, <laughs> and now I'm thinking I'm gonna go and learn. And she's like, no, you're gonna teach a class. And so when I got there, I realized the importance of. First, we had one of the highest rated courses. On can, uh, during the intercession session, right. I think it's like four point eight five out of five. Wow! Um, but the students themselves, they were able to interact directly with professionals from the field. Okay, and that itself was like for them was amazing in in having that experience. The other side of it, though, is that we we ran a simulation, and I I served as the mayor, and they served as you know, of course you did active, yeah, they served <laughs> as active members of the community. And that was a, also like a, a really amazing experience for them to interact with like real public officials in their classes, 
to see how that works and how they feel and how they fit in. And so that yeah. course was amazing. Yeah, I, I think some, those, some of the, those are some of the uh, best exercises I've ever done in my curriculum is uh, that the, the, the connection between what they're learning in the textbook, so the mm. theoretical part and the principles versus the, the practitioners that are actually doing it. And that's what, uh, you know, originally started me coming to you huh. uh, and in trying to find practitioners that, you know, while they were learning about self-help projects in the community or technical assistance projects in the community, it's, it's, it's well and good to read about it. Yeah. But to bring somebody in and talk about, you know, like you said, those issues where, well, that's the way we've always done it. Oh, we can change the law. That type of stuff you won't necessarily get in a textbook. Yeah. You're gonna, you need to hear that from, from the proverbial horse's mouth, as they say. Yeah, and I will tell you what, and what I've also learned, so before 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 going to uh, Johns Hopkins and, and, and working with the center, uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I had really good friends who are academics, of course you, um, but then I quickly started to realize, like, the value in being able to speak the academic language as well as the practitioner Absolutely. language. Because now, like, I, it's funny, and, and it's, it's one thing I love about Baltimore. It gives you, these, it gives you these, these chance encounters with all these people coming from all these different walks of life. Right. And so I was telling this guy on the street one day what I was doing uh, for, for, um, for Johns Hopkins, and he said, he said, I think I know what you do, Terrence. And I said, what? tell me because I'm struggling <laughs> he said your job is to invite more people to the party and I looked at him and I was thinking what are you talking about like <laughs> that's not helping me at all right. and then I walked away and I realized he was right yeah so I've always spoke the practitioner language because I'm a practitioner but now being engulfed in this in this academic research institution I'm now learning the 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 language of the academics and so now I can create a larger table I can I can in, increase my own circle and bring right. those people in. So which is why now, before I would come in and tell you we're gonna validate the lived experiences of, of residents as expertise. Right. And now I can tell you I'm upholding their ontological and mm -hmm. epistemic justice. Right. Okay, so you're talking about inviting more people to the party, but you know, does that make you the bouncer <laughs> on who's letting them in or you or you making the guest list? I think it makes I think and, and then who is the bouncer? Yeah, it's it's me making the guest list and I think we're I think we're uh doing away with the bouncer. So we're creating okay, a, good. a new business model where there is not a bouncer. Okay, gotcha. And all are welcome, you know, from the practitioner side, from the academic side, and now we can figure out. So now my job is how I've been conducting my research has been I go to the library and I spend tons of time reading and understanding and, and, and breaking all these concepts down. Right. And then I immediately take it out to practitioners to see if it's making sense, if it ties to their practical experience. Right. And when I find a sweet spot, I document that on my mural board, mm -hmm. and then I go back out to figure out more, make more of those connections. And so now what I'm starting to figure out is that I've, I've found this, this middle lane and I'm drawing both right. people in. And so now people can see, like, so it's not just us talking about trust because trust is like, like such like an abstract topic. I'm able to say we... People say we need more trust in public institutions. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need more intelligently placed trust in trustworthy organizations. Right. Which blind, means because blind trust is a bad thing. In it, blind trust is bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and because because in order to trust someone, you have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to you don't want to place you don't want to misplace your trust in someone and you right. violate it. And so now I'm putting the onus back on us as individuals who want to be trusted, us as institutions that want to be trusted, 
what does it mean to be trustworthy? And right. that means that it means having a, a high level of ability, a high level of humanity or benevolence, benevolence, and then a high level of integrity. Right. And if I can identify those three elements, uh, if one is lacking and it's impacting my overall trustworthy factor, right. I can I can uh, I can place an inner I can direct the intervention towards that leg. Right. of my trustworthiness in order to strengthen my, my abilities. Absolutely. And, and, and I find it interesting that uh, you're talking about now, you know, doing this academic research and trustworthiness, and, and you're, you're one of us now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You've come over to the dark side. And you said, I go out and find practitioners. But, Terrence, you were once the practitioner. Yeah. And that, you've come full arc. <laughs> As we call it, coming full arc, you come full circle. Yeah, because I, and I will tell you because, if it, but it also goes back to like when you ask me like, how do you find the people, right? right. Like, I had to take myself out of being the person that had to had to empathize with the academic researchers and right. academics. And yeah, then, it's a tough job we did. Yeah, <laughs> so I, so I had to move myself out of that. So now I was like, I need to I need to take it to the practitioners, the other practitioners, the real people. Yeah, the other people, like because I'm now I'm on the. Oh, you're being nice. You said the other people. I'm on the I'm on the camp I'm on the campus now at Johns Hopkins. So yeah. people are like you're not practicing anything. Yeah, exactly. You're reading, and and but I will tell you that the the center that we are that you know my, I have a, I have an amazing executive director Amanda Daflo. She's um, she's very intentional about ensuring that. I don't lose that practitioner's touch and edge. Right. That it, so it's not just me doing research all the time. Mm-hmm. It's me also working with mayors. Well, I was gonna say yeah. that 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 keeps you connected to the practitioners. That yeah. that keeps me connected. And then and then for me to not wait until I have a book or a program, I can instantly go back to cities and right. help them with their practices. Right. And, and, and if you get bored, just go to Finland. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you boondoggle <laughs> that one. Okay, so, uh, all right. So, great conversations because I want to I want to kind of do a right, uh, 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 I guess they would call it a left turn. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it yet in the interview. We did pre-interview uh, before we were recording about some of the mentoring that you do. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that because that is an optimistic tale that that of of empathy, benevolence, all those you know ideas that that come from you wanting to help people, yeah. and, and 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 passing your knowledge on. So let's talk a little bit about some of the mentoring efforts that you do in particular. Yes, yeah, and so it can be local, it can be whatever. Yeah. yeah so I, I started out with working with working with youth, right? Right. And, and that that helped me hone my my mentoring skills to in order okay. to like deliver what people needed, not what I wanted them to have. Right. Because um, no, there's no better way to work with kids, and they'll tell you exactly when you're going wrong. Okay. They don't care. They'll tell you. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but so, but now, you know, my, my mentoring uh, my mentoring practice have, have taken me to, like, seasoned professionals, right? And I guess okay. now I'm a seasoned professional myself. Right, right. And so it, it is the, 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 the coaching mayors. It okay. is the public officials. Like, I spend lots of time here. Uh, even even though I'm even though I'm in Baltimore for these two years, I spend lots of time uh, coaching and mentoring the director of the Office of Strategic Initiatives, Jason D'Alessandro. Okay, because he took my role, and and so I know how difficult it was for me to get that job up and running. That I wouldn't want to just hand something to him that he would have to run on his own. And so uh, we talk once a week, sometimes two times a week. Uh, the director of uh, the former director of um, of Parks and Rec. 
who is now the deputy executive director of Public Works. We spend lots of time right. talking because there are things that I have gone through that they are going through that I can help them walk through. But there are right. also now with all these new experiences that I'm having worldwide, mm-hmm. it gives me the opportunity to share that knowledge, um, share that knowledge at a, at a rapid rate without right. having to like create a whole program. So for me, it has always just been about helping people, and I'm still doing that mm-hmm. because I think that in 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 helping people, you end up helping the world itself. But more specifically, I think that when, for me, I, I, no matter where I end up, I have this like this this strong attachment to Mobile, right? Because it is a place that I truly and deeply believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, even sometimes when I believe that Mobile lacks confidence and doesn't really believe in itself, because I be- right. I happen to believe that Mobile is a great space. Right. And now that I'm out traveling all these different spaces, I haven't been to one space where I haven't met someone that's operated at a high level that's from Mobile. Right. And so I know that Mobile is 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 a is producing great talent. Absolutely. And great people. Mm-hmm. I just think that we need to understand that. And so for right. me, that is me taking the time where people think that, you know, Terrence is super busy, he has other stuff going on. I, I, I am, but I'm never too busy to stop and help someone because I would not be where I am today right. had it not been for people helping me. Right. Yes, there there are some great people in Mobile. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had them on my show, on, on my podcast, uh, uh, Joni Hendy and mm-hmm. Dumas Wesley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nichelle Jones wrote a book, uh, uh, Inventory Easy, yeah. to help uh, underprivileged kids find a, find a, uh, a career uh, and so there there are stars mm. and, and, and I, I like what you said that uh, and this is not just in Mobile but probably cities across the United States if not across the world is their opinion of themselves you know that that uh, and it might steer from historical situations it might steer from political however the city developed you've got to break that you know, they talk about breaking the glass ceiling. Yeah, I mean, and that's a particular thing, but but you've got to break out of that mold that you're stuck in yeah. if you ever want to, you know, be not only productive, but feel good about yourself. Yeah. And, and it's funny about Mobile, you know, I grew I was born here, I grew up here, mm-hmm. and uh and I left for 20 years, and I'm sitting right back in the place. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it, it's one of those cities where, I, like I said, it, it's probably not uh, uh, particular to Mobile. I'm sure there's all sorts of cities where, you know, you, you just feel home. Yeah. You know, it, it's home. And there's a lot to do here, and there's a lot of great things going on. I, I appreciate the fact that, that you haven't lost sight of that and that you're going out and sharing your message of you know trustworthiness of empathy benevolence and saying that what we're doing here is great we could do better yeah uh, we do a lot of good things so let me go find out you know it's it's benchmarking is what yeah. it is you're going out and finding out and sharing your experiences and then getting like going to Finland and getting their experiences and bring them back to us oh yeah so that's that's a great thing so let me let me ask you this though and uh, and we can uh, I think I'll uh, end on this we'll end on this because okay. I, I don't know where it's going to go but okay so you've got experiences mentoring young adults kids mayors who mentors the mentor oh yeah who are your influences so so amazing people i have uh i have uh you know of course dr joel lewis billingsley mm-hmm. uh commissioner Ludgood. i also have uh people like joe bullard 
You know, okay. pe people think Joe Pool is just a car dealer, but right. he's an actual person <laughs> who's, who's super helpful. I also have uh, Carolyn Akers, who's the uh, who's the CEO of the Mobile Area Education Foundation. Okay, uh, Linda Ingram, who was the former Chief Operating Officer of the uh, Mobile Area Education Foundation, right. and then uh, and then one of my one of my newest mentors uh, is. Amanda Daflos, who was the former uh, chief innovation officer for Los Angeles, okay, and now the executive director of the uh, Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, so many. Um, and another guy, uh, Ray Crawl. I met this guy on LinkedIn. Right. He started following me and mm -hmm. he started giving me advice. Right. And then he came to Mobile to visit me before I left. No kidding. And he's been like following me and like providing these opportunities for like growth and advancement since right. he's met me. So yeah, those people like I think what happens is that you know it starts with someone taking a taking a uh, taking a uh, chance on you. And that right. was Dr. Lewis who passed me on to Commissioner Lurgood, who right. passed me on to all these other right. people, and it's just kind of been growing. And so those people, I call them my my personal board of advisors, right. and I just keep them <laughs> close to them. How have they improved you? Uh, what's, the best, what's the greatest thing they've done for Terrence? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, helping me with my confidence, okay. helping, me with, uh, helping me with seeing my, uh, my, thing, my own flaws and helping me work through them without. Right. So, for instance, when I left Mobile, I was, I was definitely at the top of what I was doing. Like right. I was super happy with where I was, right. and I can look at the impact. When I got to um, Baltimore, though, uh, I realized that I have the mobile style of telling the story, which is very long. Right. Um, but they don't have a lot of time. Right. It's very quick. <laughs> it's especially like, so now it's like, oh, you're talking to the Lord Mayors in Dublin, or you're talking to the people in New York, and right. you're talking to, yeah, all these people, they don't really have a lot of time. They start with the point. Right. And then give me the supporting facts. Gotcha. And so I had to learn, and I remember uh, my first meeting, uh, my executive director put me in this meeting, and I had this session with her. And, you know, I just feel like I bombed it. But I'm super self-aware, so I knew that I bombed it. Right. And I saw her in the office, and I went, and I was like, I, I just, that didn't go well. She's like, Terrence, I'm glad you said that, because it definitely did not go as well as it could have gone. But it went the way I thought it would go, and now we have a base to work from. Okay. And so from that, you know, she gave me room. And so she didn't, mm -hmm. like, take me out of the next meeting. She threw me back into the next one. Right, right. But also with focus, like, what should you do next time? How should you operate? And I will tell you, since that day, I think I took, like, a four-mile four walk around the harbor just to wow. clear my mind, and I got back. And so she was very, like, hands-on with ensuring that I had the room right. to test out the things that she knew I needed to test out but to also take me out of, like, what I was really good at right. and place me in a situation that I would struggle with a little bit to, so that I could be aware of what I need to work on. And then, so you grow as a person, and then you pass that on to other people. That's yeah. good. So what, what, what do you see your legacy being? Uh, you know, I, you know I, I don't know. I would, you know, but I'll tell you what. At the end of the day, I, I, want, I want people to look back at me and said that I was open and I was accessible no matter what level I reached. Okay. Because I think, because I know that I would not have been where I am today had it not been for people who are, who are at a high level, but opened themselves and were accessible. And so I don't know if it's anything that I will do per se that people can look and say that thing happened because of Terrence. Well, I think right. that those, those are things, there are things that have happened that I think people can look at that. But that's not what I want to be remembered for. Okay. I, I want to be remembered for, changing the way someone else think about how to connect with other people. Okay. That's it. And that and that's all from your wanting to help people. 
That's it. Wow. Well, uh, Terrence, again, I hope it's not another seven years before we talk again. I uh, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, It's been a wonderful talk, and uh, I look again look forward to you doing great things. Thank you. And uh, and uh, if you can get me to Finland, come on over. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you.